Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? The word of the Lord. Happy endings are not just a Hollywood thing. They're a human thing. Three months ago, I attended the graduation, you know, for my, my son graduated from high school, and it was wonderful. You know, the speeches were uplifting, the students were donning their caps and gowns, and we, the parents, were smiling and satisfied. Happy endings make the struggle worth it, right? For a season there, while your children are going to school, it feels more like you're driving the family van through a harrowing storm. You're not quite sure if you're going to make it, but then the sky clears and all is well. The book of Jonah does not have a happy ending. Chapter 3 does. I mean, the arc of the, COVID, uh, of the book uh, through the arc of the the arc of the book um, through chapter three, we we know it now, right? God sends Jonah to go to Nineveh, but instead he runs to Tarshish. God goes after Jonah with a storm, with a fish, and then finally Jonah starts praising God. God comes again and says to him the same thing: Go to Nineveh, and he goes. He obeys. He goes to Nineveh. He delivers God's word, tells them that they must turn from their evil ways, or God will overturn them, overthrow them and they listened they began this radical change from the least of them to the greatest fasting turning from their evil ways so that's a happy ending Jonah turns to God the sailors turn to God the Ninevites turn to God and then you have chapter 4 and chapter 4 ruins the story it's as if Cinderella ended not with the wedding but after the honeymoon when she starts realizing that the prince is kind of shallow And he realizes that she sings too much, right? I mean, Jonah chapter 4 is full of anger and a death wish. And it's as if Jonah did not learn a thing in chapter 2. It's almost like we're going backwards instead of forward. But that's one of the reasons this book is so powerful. Because doesn't life often feel like we're going backwards instead of forward? Or at least that we're taking two steps forward and one back on a good day. One, you know, one forward, two back on a bad day. See, Jonah is not only realistic, but it's profound. Because what Jonah the prophet struggles with the most is what you and I struggle with the most in our experience of God. Which is this. It's understanding that God's grace includes those we exclude. God's grace includes those we exclude. You see, in chapter 4 of Jonah, we have Jonah in a deeper storm still than the one in chapter 1. And it's the storm in his heart. I've said before that the biggest storms we face in life are not those out there, those that come into us. That's what we tend to believe 
the deepest storms we face are always right here, right in our hearts. And this chapter shows us the difference, the vast difference between God's gracious heart and Jonah's self-preserving heart in such a way that we cannot miss it. So no, chapter four does not ruin the story. And as to whether there is a happy ending or not, well, that's up to what you take away from the passage. So let's look at three things about grace this morning. First, grace enrages. Grace enrages. Read with me one more time. Chapter three, verse 10. When God saw what they did, that is the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. So when God refrains from destroying Nineveh, Jonah is livid. He is incensed. (laughs) Chapter 4 verse 1 literally says, but to Jonah, it was evil. A great evil. And it burned him. I mean, Jonah is God's prophet. A prophet speaks for God, bringing God's word to a people so they'll repent, so that they'll turn And so that's what happens. Jonah, God's prophet, goes to the Ninevites. They listen. They repent. And he's angry. I mean, what's going on here? You're a chef. And people like your food. And you're angry about it. You're a teacher. And your students actually learn. And you're angry that they test well. You're a prophet. And you're delivering God's word to people so they'll repent. And you're angry that they're repenting. What's going on here? Well, Jonah tells us exactly what's going on in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's angry that God is gracious. Don't miss that. Jonah is angry that God is gracious. He finally tells us why he took off running for Tarshish. He knew two things. First, he knew that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Why did he know this? He knew it because that was the most basic confession of who God was in Israel. In the Old Testament. Now you may have listened to interviews that journalists do. Of famous people. People who are known for what they do. uh, Whether they are an actor or a CEO or a singer. right? So say for example that a journalist is interviewing Harry Styles. Okay and so viewers lean in when the journalist asks. Tell us who is Harry Styles. What are they getting at with that question? What the journalist is saying is, we've, we've heard your songs, we've seen you perform, we know your likeness, but who are you? Well, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the book of uh, Exodus, there's a very important episode after God gives um, Moses the second tablets with the Ten Commandments. And it's a time when God reveals to him who he is. So earlier in Exodus, in chapter 3, during the time in the burning bush, when God first appears to Moses, God there for the first time reveals his name. I am who I am. That's his name. 
Yahweh, it appears in our uh, Bibles, or the Lord, right? All capital letters, that's God's personal name. So that happens in chapter three. Then in the next number of chapters, we see what the Lord, what this Lord is able to do with all the plagues that he brings upon Egypt to humble the pride of the Pharaoh until he finally sets God's people free. But then, a number of chapters later, after God's given them the, the legislation at Sinai, in chapter 34, God comes down and he basically answers the question, who is the Lord? And so God comes down, he passes in front of Moses and says, declares, the Lord, the Lord, that's his name, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So this is who God is most fundamentally. And this is where we are the least like God. And Jonah knows this. He knows that God is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. Yes, punishing to the third and fourth generations, but forgiving to the thousands. And Jonah knew this is who God is. That's the first thing he knows, that God is gracious and compassionate. The second thing that Jonah knew was that the Ninevites were evil. We don't have to rehearse all the things we said about them last week, but they were bloodthirsty, they were violent, they were proud. They were a threat to Israel. Even at the time that Jonah sent to go to them, they had already been a threat to Israel. And in a matter of two or three decades from Jonah's time, they would go and take over the northern kingdom of Israel and destroy them. So those are the two things that Jonah knows. God is gracious. Nineveh is evil. And he did not want those two things to meet. And when they did, he was very angry. Now, before we criticize Jonah for his anger, let's remember that the Ninevites were strong and wicked. They're strong and wicked. How easy is it for you to be compassionate, to show grace to people who are strong? The rich, the successful, the boss, whoever that is, the people we perceive to be strong. How easy is it for us to be gracious toward them? How, is it, how easy is it for us to be gracious toward the strong and wicked? You see, grace enrages. Why does grace enrage? We would think, I mean, grace is, is this, uh, this comfy term. We're like, oh, so, oh, show me grace. Grace seems to be such a soft, nice thing. Why would it make us, make us angry? I'll give you four quick reasons. Because we feel superior. We feel superior. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah confessed at the end of that psalm that we read of his, he says, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. When he was near death, he had this moment of great clarity and humility where he confesses salvation. All salvation comes from God, which assumes that everyone comes to God on equal footing. No one is better than anyone else because salvation comes from the Lord, not from us. But then that moment went away quickly. He forgot. You see, it seems that our default setting is to think that we need less grace than other people do. You see this clearly on the road. When drivers make questionable moves, they're idiots. When we make the same questionable moves, we were under a lot of stress, right? I mean, the double standard is thick. If you have a hard time forgiving someone, 
chances are that deep down you believe that you need less forgiveness. And so we feel superior, but we also feel uh, envy, right? We may feel envious. Now, you may recall the parable. uh, This is in Matthew chapter 20. This is the parable uh, that Jesus teaches about a landowner who hires a number of workers to work in his vineyard. And so the landowner goes out and he hires workers uh, early in the day, in the middle of the day, and even one hour before the day of work was done. And then when it's time to pay everyone, the landowner pays them all the same. And the first ones that started working cry foul. They're angry. They're like, this is unfair. But the landowner says, "Uh, I'm not being unfair to you. I'm paying you exactly what we agreed, what I agreed to pay you and what you agreed to work for. And then he says, or are you envious because I am generous? You see, the first workers, they were being treated very fairly. It's just that the landowner was extremely gracious to the last ones. But we do this all the time. I hear people saying, how come God is being so good to that person and the deck of cards dealt to me is so bad? We feel envy and it enrages us when we see other people who have a different lot than ours. But we may also feel victimized. And this is a big deal in our culture because everybody has been taught to see themselves as a victim of some sort. Jonah knew that the Ninevites were wicked and they had made victims out of many people. They did not deserve grace. They deserved justice. They deserved wrath. And then finally, we may also feel tribal. We are tribal. So these are four reasons that, we, that grace enrages. But we, we are tribal. We want the good of our people. However we, we define our people. You know, so maybe it's at the national level, so we are nationalists. Or maybe it's at the racial level, so we are racist. Or maybe it's at the economic level, so we are elitist. Or maybe it's at the ideological level, whether it's politically to the left or to the right, or some other type of issue around which we identify ourselves. But the bottom line is this, the tribal instinct in us, and we all have it, excludes those who are not in our group. Those who are not like us, or at least that we perceive to not be like us. I mean, let me ask you this. Are you able to say, I love gay people? I love lesbians. I love transgender people. I love Muslims. I love woke ideologists. Does that feel uncomfortable? See, imagine Jonah in the middle of these bloodthirsty, violent, wicked people. He could not bring himself to love them. Because he didn't grasp God's grace. And when God's grace met their evil, it made him furious. God's grace includes those we exclude. So God, uh, grace enrages. But grace also mystifies. Grace mystifies. Let's keep on reading. Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, 
sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Okay, grace mystifies. Something that's mystifying is perplexing. It eludes our grasp. And that's exactly what grace, what the grace of God is like, which is why we need to soak our hearts and our minds in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. Do you soak your heart in the grace of God every day? That's what we're doing right now. Right now, we're all taking a bath. We're just submerging ourselves in the grace of God. And when we leave here, we'll be more refreshed. It's like, oh, yes, because our hearts are hardwired because of sin to misunderstand grace or to miss it altogether. So God is gracious to the Ninevites and Jonah is angry. And God comes to Jonah and says, is it right for you to be angry? Now we'll go back to this question later on. And so Jonah is just hot. He's hot from his anger and he's hot from the sun and he goes out to the outskirts of the city he builds a shelter for himself and then he waits he waits to see what's going to happen to the city it seems that he still holds out hope that Nineveh may yet be destroyed I mean have you have you experienced this in your life when people close to you want you to fail you know what I'm talking about they're watching you but not to cheer you on but to gloat when you fall right? I mean, that's how the Pharisees watched Jesus. That's how Jonah is watching the city. And I wonder if that's how sometimes we are toward people or organizations or movements that we dislike. And so Jonah's out there. He's hot from the sun. He's hot from what's going on in his own soul. And he builds this shelter, but apparently it wasn't a great shelter because God causes this leafy plant to grow overnight to give him great comfort. And when that happens, Jonah is so happy. He's so happy about this plant. Okay, so get this. Jonah does not like that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love when that grace is aimed at his enemies. But when that same grace is aimed at him, he loves it. He's so happy. Okay, now what do we make of this? That's why I'm telling you that grace is mystifying. Because often we think that we have a deeper grasp on God's grace than we actually do. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you are just loving God's grace. Okay, so you were just saying to yourself on a fine, beautiful morning, I'm just loving God's grace. His mercies are new every morning. He's so long-suffering. He's so kind. He's so patient. No one, no one is beyond the reach of his grace. And then COVID hit. And people, friends of yours, started doing things, making decisions, choices that you found distasteful and just outright dumb. I mean, they were making decisions according to their own convictions. And at some point you were like, uh, I'm out. Sorry, I can't be friends with you anymore if you're going to keep doing that. Okay, but wait. I thought you said that you loved God's grace. And God's grace is big enough to make room for everybody. And if God can love your friend who's making those, you know, decisions that you find asinine. If he loves them, why can't you love them? See, it's not God's grace that we love. 
What we love is ourselves. Bless you. <laughs> that deserves a bless you right there. It's not God's grace that we're loving. It's ourselves and our lives going according to our expectations. And when someone crosses those expectations, it burns us. Do you see? You see, when we pray, God, be good to me, that's not us understanding God's grace. That's just good old self-interest. Everybody, anybody can pray this. People from all kinds of religions who do not understand anything about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, pray that prayer. Secular people in a pinch will pray that prayer. But if you pray, God, be good to my enemies, or even more challenging, God, use me to bring good to my enemies. Now we're beginning to grasp God's grace. Do you love God's grace? Or do you just love yourself? But here's the thing. Grace is even more mystifying than that. Look at verse 7. This is intense, right? This is intense because we're like, I thought I loved God's grace. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Okay, so he made this plant grow up, you know, quickly to give shade to Jonah. At dawn, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. It's like you're talking to your four-year-old, right? Um, okay, so, but don't miss this. This is intense. So God provided the plant, but then he provided a worm that came and chewed up the plant, and then he provided a scorching east wind. And these are massive things out east. I mean, like just massive, uh, you know, uh, sandstorms, windstorms, which together with the sun just made Jonah burn even more. I mean, he's growing faint. And so, and he's so angry. I mean, he feels, and he feels, he feels totally justified in his anger. God comes to him a second time. Notice this is the second time that God asks the same question. Is it right for you to be angry now about this plant? And Jonah says, it is. I am angry enough to die. Okay, so notice this. God provided the chapter one storm, the worm, the wind, all of which made Jonah's life more difficult. Now, Jonah's God's man. He's God's prophet. And on the other hand, the Ninevites, the wicked Ninevites, received God's grace. Mercy. Okay? So mercy for the wicked, hardship for God's people. Are you holding that? Mercy for the wicked, hardship for God's people. How is that grace? You see, there's something more important for our lives than comfort. We could be incredibly comfortable. We could have all the comforts of the world and be totally miserable. Or we could be incredibly uncomfortable but have invincible joy if we grasp God's grace. 
number of weeks back, I was reading about a political prisoner in Romania, Richard Warmbrand, back in the days of Soviet communism in the 20th century. He was a Jewish Christian, and uh, he and uh, many others were being tortured as criminals of the state. They were uh, chained to the floor, and they were forced to stand up naked and upright day and night on cold, bare uh, stone, and their feet were submerged in icy water. So just try to picture this level of torture that went on and on. And they were not allowed to preach to the other prisoners about Jesus. But here's what Richard writes. He says, It was understood that whoever was caught preaching received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. <laughs> I know, it's like, it's funny, but it's like, okay, right? But what an incredible perspective. Why? Because they knew, they knew Christ in their heart, they knew the grace of God. You could be very uncomfortable, but have invincible joy if you grasp God's grace. And here's the thing, it's oftentimes when we are uncomfortable that we, be, we begin to see how far we are from living by grace. It's much easier to live by comfort than it is to live by grace. But think about this. If the people commissioned with proclaiming God's love and displaying God's love never imbibe that love, the world is in trouble. The world is in trouble. I mean, God, God sent Jonah to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were wicked, but he had great compassion for them. So he sends them a prophet from Israel. But they're a threat to Israel. And so this prophet cares more about Israel and about his own well-being than he cares about the ignorant Ninevites and the violent Ninevites. And so here, God is... He, he never grasped God's love, which is why he, he goes there, but he doesn't really love them because he doesn't grasp God's grace. And so chapter 4 is all about this. Chapter 4 is double-clicking on Jonah's angry heart. That's why anger comes up again and again in this chapter, and it's confronting him with God's true heart. And God is saying, Jonah, Jonah. You must see the narrowness of your heart and the expansiveness of mine. And then you must embrace my gracious heart over and above your own self-interest. Otherwise, people will not know who I am. Do you see? So the storm, the worm, the wind, they were all what many have called God's Severe mercies, difficult lessons through which we become more like our gracious God. It's not enough for us to speak of Jesus. We must speak of Jesus 
with the heart of Jesus or people will not know him. For liars, vile people, the sexually immoral, the violent, and all unbelievers to enter the kingdom of God, we must grasp God's gracious heart. And that will sometimes involve us, his people, in suffering. That aspect of grace is mystifying, but true. So grace enrages, grace mystifies, and finally grace triumphs. Grace triumphs. Look at chapter 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that's how Jonah ends. With a contrast and a question, and really with the deepest point that the whole book is making. Jonah has great concern for this plant of his self-interest. This plan that he did not tend, he did not grow. This plan that was only around for a few hours. And he's so angry about this plant. And yet this petty man disapproves of God's expansive grace. And so God comes to him and God says to him, you show great concern for this plant. You pity this plant. Should I not pity Nineveh, this great city with so many people, over 100,000 of them who are totally ignorant. They do not know their right hand from their left. Should I not have concern for them? Remember, Nineveh was vicious, wicked, a threat to Israel. God sends them a prophet from Israel who cares more about Israel. He's a nationalist. He cares deeply about Israel. He doesn't care. He's not concerned about the violence or ignorance of the Ninevites. Now, following COVID and the increased political polarization in our country, many Christians started migrating from more liberal states to more conservative states where they perceive the cultural climate to be friendlier to them. Now, I understand that instinct. I have it myself. And I do not know all the reasons for those kind of developments, demographic and geographic developments and all of that. Um, but here's the thing. We shouldn't just gather and live where the conditions for our lives are most favorable and most comfortable. That's the leafy plant of our self-interest, which we all have it. Right? Caring so much, living to protect our own political ideologies and our religious values. We must go to Nineveh. We must go to the Ninevites. Nineveh is in our lives. Places where there's so much ignorance about God, but also where they are vile and ruthless and faithless and defiant. And we must go without an ounce of superiority about us, but with the humility of people who have truly grasped God's vast free grace. People who know that salvation is 
from the Lord and only from the Lord because we cannot save ourselves. We must go there. That's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus left his glory to come for you. He left his home in heaven to come for you. He came to earth, his Nineveh. Did you know that? The whole earth for Jesus was Nineveh. I mean, think about this. The distance between Jonah and the Ninevites was a yard compared to the millions of miles that separated Jesus Christ, the perfect one, from us. I mean, what separated theologically and culturally and religiously and in other ways, Jonah from the Ninevites was nothing, was a yard compared to the millions of miles separating Jesus Christ from us on earth, from those who had no love for him, those who killed him. And yet that is the triumph of God's grace, that journey from the Father to us to save us by his life, death, and resurrection. The earth is Nineveh to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he came, he came, he did not stay in glory. And he came and by his coming and by his life, death, and resurrection, he takes away our feeling of superiority from the cross. He says to us, he humbled himself to go and die to the cross as a criminal. And from the cross, he says to us, your wound is so deep, I had to die. Your imprisonment is so perpetual that only my life could pay the ransom. There's nothing for us to boast about. Let them who boast, boast in what? The Lord. So he takes away our superiority, but he also takes away our envy, our sense that God is withholding something from us that he's giving to someone else. He gave us his son. What else do you want? He who did not spare his one only son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is now withholding anything good from you. Do you believe it? Do you believe him? He gave us his son. He gave you his son. What else do you want? So he takes away our envy. Oh, but we feel it so intensely because we start comparing ourselves with everybody else's story. He gave us his son. Jesus also takes away our victim mindset. He is the righteous suffering for the unrighteous. The flawless one. The faultless one for those who are filled with faults. But he is no victim. He is no victim. No one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord and he took it back up again. And he gives the same kind of power to those who trust him. You, me. He gives us, he restores to us full, complete agency. No one can take Jesus away from you. And he makes us full agents. You're not a victim of anyone. You know why? He gives you the power to forgive. He gives you the power to forgive. And no one extracts forgiveness from us. It's something that we freely bestow. So we are no victims. Do not think you are a victim. He takes that away from us. And then finally, he takes away our sense of superior or, or our tribalism rather. He takes away our tribalism. He died for the ungodly. He died for those who killed him. He died for those that you and I exclude. We may burn with religious and nationalistic and moral fervor and exclude our gay neighbors or our trans neighbors, 
or our Hindu or Muslim neighbors, but Jesus includes those we exclude. Because, listen to this, if he excluded on the same basis that you and I do, we would be excluded from his love. Do you get that? We would be excluded from his love. If he were like us, there would be no place for us in heaven. So God's grace includes those we exclude, and he wants to reach them through us. Will you embrace God's grace? We're finishing this whole series. It's four weeks. It's a massive surgery of the heart, this book of Jonah. People think it's about a fish. It's surgery of the jingoistic heart, the nationalistic heart, the tribal heart that cares more about me and my people than about the people who do not have God. Will you embrace God's grace? We do not know who wrote the book of Jonah. It might have been Jonah, or it might have been someone who learned about his mission to Nineveh. But here's the question, whom did they learn it from? Whom did they get the details from? Because there are many things in this book, many details that were only known to Jonah. So he must have shared them with them if he did not write it, which means that in the end, grace triumphed in Jonah's life because only someone who gets grace could make himself look so bad. I don't know there's anyone in the Bible that looks worse than Jonah. And it's all from him. It comes from him. So this book does have a happy ending. Jonah gets grace. Can we praise God for his grace? Can we praise him for his grace? Listen, God's grace frees us to look bad. To not have to just keep all our insta-perfect personas. Be free, like Jonah, to make yourself look bad. So what? So grace triumphs even in his life. And so the book leaves us with this question to ponder. Question that Jonah wants us to ponder. Question that God wants us to ponder. Will you care about the plant of your self-interest? Or will you care about the many people in the world who are far from God and do not know their right hand from the left? That's the question that we're left with. And so as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper and as we're wrapping up this series, I leave you with two questions. Who is your God? Who is your God? Is he the God of the Bible? Has he by the gospel crushed your sense of superiority and your envy and your victim mindset and your tribalism? Has he crushed it? Is he crushing it? It's okay to say, no, he hasn't crushed it fully yet, but he's taking me there, but the beast dies hard. Yes, it does. Who is your God? And finally, who is your Nineveh? To whom is God sending you that you sense reluctance in your heart to go? Maybe ESL. Maybe Kids Ministries, your Nineveh is like, no way. There's no way I'm ever going over there. Who is your Nineveh that God is sending you to? Please, if there's reluctance, do business with that. Do business with that in your heart. God's grace includes those we exclude, but he wants to reach them. 
through us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you thanks for this incredible series, for this incredible book, this tiny little book. And yet it's heart surgery. Our hearts are on the surgeon's table and you are operating on them. And there's blood everywhere. And we are convicted, Lord. And we see, perhaps we're beginning by your spirit to see just a fraction of our self-seeking, self-preserving heart. Thank you for Jonah who made himself look so bad so that we could learn, God. So that we could learn. Thank you for our Savior who gave his life for Nineveh, the whole earth.